Well, it's time for Moncon McGann, and it's Tuesday travel. As you know, we do Ireland, we do Europe, we do international destinations. Last week we were in Canada, uh, and only Moncon would ever think of doing an entire country the size of Canada in about 20 minutes. Hopefully this week you're doing somewhere smaller, are you? Yeah, we're going to focus in on a place. I want to focus in on a particular airport in particular, a Malaga airport. Now, I think you and I mentioned... You're doing doing a piece about an airport? No, I'm not doing a piece about an airport. I'm doing a piece about a destination and how to get to it. So, as we know, Aer Lingus and Ryanair fly into Malaga. Uh, I was going to say cheaply. Cheaply at some times of the year and ridiculously expensive Uh, at others. This sounds incredibly stupid, but I've never been afraid of being stupid. Where is Malaga? So, Malaga is on the Costa del Sol, on the very south of Spain, uh, you know, on the Spanish coast and in the Mediterranean. And it is all that Costa del, del, del Sol, uh, you know, which, which is a name invented by the English. It's basically a sun coast, the first place that was highlighted for tourism development in the 50s and 60s, where all we have are holidays. We normally fly into Malaga, into the airport there. Now, I, now do you know where we all went in the 50s and 60s in the Costa del Sol? Fuencarola or something, no? No, I, yeah. I'd be open to correction, but certainly where all our crowd went uh, was Sitges, S-I-T-G-E-S, and you flew to Barcelona, mm. and then it was about an hour, I think, from Barcelona, and it was populated entirely mm. by uh, uh, Irish, pretty well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, and because those, and that's where we all got our first taste of like Spain, mm-hmm. of drink, of suntan lotion, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. You know, because we were incredibly in- innocent. So Malaga, then mm-hmm. further down the coast. Am I right in thinking it's kind of a bit more expensive? That sort of. No, uh, well, to get there? No, but for more. Ah, no. I mean, they're it's all not? no. It's, uh, these are all relatively cheap places now. But it would be lovely to look at that in the future. So, as you said, the very first package flight, the holiday flight ever, went in 1950 or 1951 from Gatwick. Gatwick was always the place for these charter yeah. airplanes. And like as we know, well, we've now reached one billion people travelling a year. That all arose out of one person deciding in 1950, let's put on a charter flight. You know, to before Spain. that, yeah, before that, it was only elite people travel. They went on yeah. the ground tour like it's phenomenal how speedy the world has taken to traveling so but as you said spain was always at the core of it and the problem was because they were in from the very beginning they have concretized a lot of their coastline and it is it is rather you know ruinous so so when you arrive into malaga you take the i mean the bus you know the bus and the train system so good you normally take the bus into malaga and you're greeted with this grim concrete dead zone even no matter where and when you fly into malaga and you take your bus to whatever resort you're staying in you're seeing a glimpse of maybe some banana growing tunnels but otherwise it's those mega stores furniture mega stores and warehouses for the people of their apartments and it can look awfully grim and you go straight to your artificial resort and your artificial beach. What I want people to do Three things. I'll lay them out. First, I want them to explore Malaga, the town of Malaga. Then I want them to go on to Tarifa and on to the Rock of Gibraltar. On to where? Tarifa. Tarifa, so is the far west of the Costa del Sol. Okay, uh, where, where the charter flight denizens will not go. Is exactly, that your exactly. suggestion? Yeah. But first, for everyone, when you're going, no matter, like, uh, you know, to go to Granada or to go to Malaga or anything, or to go to that Costa del Sol, you're going to fly into Malaga. I'm saying, stop in at the village, at the local town. So, 
Malaga, when you arrive in, you see that um, the first thing you notice is a Dunn stores beside the train station, which You're is, no, it's not the most presupposing <laughs> site. But like, linger a while and you will find these people have none of the sort of arrogance that you might find in Jerez or Cadiz or other parts of sort of Algeciras, of, um, of um, Andalusia. They are incredibly hardworking. These, like Malaga has always been a busy working town. The galleons that sailed back from uh, the, new, the new world with gold, they all arrived in Malaga. Oh, and you can yeah. still see sort of these wonderful buildings, fine in 19th century boulevards right in the centre and mansions of, of mercantile prowess of the, of the great 18th and 19th century. The main thing that it has going for it always was that uh, Picasso was born there. So, you know, we, never th- we think of Malaga as just a dirty airport surrounded by hyperstores. But, of course, the point, to be fair, is all the people come off the plane. Mm-hmm. There's a fellow there with a placard mm-hmm. saying, follow me. Yeah. You follow the fellow with a placard, you get in a bus. Exactly. So you don't even know there's a town called Malaga to all intents and purposes. No. So you do have to be yeah. a kind of Moncom McGann mm-hmm. stroke George Hook in yeah. our different ways, but nevertheless individual travellers. Yeah. And I think you've said you have you've have explored Malaga. You're familiar with Malaga, aren't you? No, I'm not okay. familiar with Spain. I'm only familiar with... Mm. The girls of Spain, uh, the rugby teams of Spain, yes, and the 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 some of the great cities of Spain okay. like Madrid, uh, Barcelona, uh-huh. uh, Santander, yes, and uh, that neck of the woods. What's lovely though, George, about this twenty minutes of your weekly travel okay. program is we don't need to listen to rugby or your lascivious tales of fast of uh, past exploits. So I'm going to get back if you don't mind. Speaking to of past exploits, yes, this is the uh, last moment we'll speak of past exploits. When I went to Spain yes. all those years ago with girls, you walked down the street with mm-hmm. this Spanish girl, right, mm-hmm. that you were having lascivious thoughts about. But behind you mm-hmm. was a middle-aged lady who was the chaperone. Ah, oh, lovely. And oh. she followed you. Mm. So you walked around the park, <laughs> frantically hoping to lose her, brought that girl back to the house, mm-hmm. and you didn't get a peck in the cheek. Beautiful. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the pro- the reason why you're seeing a rather grim, um, okay. f- you know, Stalinist You'll look stop me in my tracks, on right? Malaga is because it was bombed badly in the Spanish Civil War. Oh, you know, okay. and then Franco rebuilt it with the sort of the worst of his most util- obnoxious utilitarian style of buildings. But right in the heart, as I say, these perfect 19th century okay. buildings, all with little secret turrets to see the galleons arriving across the Atlantic f- coming back from America. But mainly, as I say. So Picasso was born, 19, in, uh, born there. He got out at 19 and never returned. Never returned. The ultimate snub, the ultimate insult. But in his later days, he must have felt some s- form of guilt because he told his daughter-in-law and his grandson to leave basically the best of his works to a tiny museum in Malaga. So people are going to Madrid and going to New York or the Met to see the, the best collection of Picasso's work, in my opinion, is in a tiny uh, building, a 16th century palazzo, Palazzo de Buena Vista, very humble palazzo, right in the centre of Malaga. And because of its humbleness, because it's just a small, you know, it's a small mansion, you know, owned by the local merchant, it is the work, the power of his works, which which stretch from, like the best of his works, from 1890 right up until 1970s, are on show in these intimate little buildings. There's no crowds there. There's no big security guards. It is really intimate. And it's like, Basically, two, one and a half minute walk from the town square. And when you come out again, you do another one and a half minute walk 
and you look up and you see the 11th century Al-Kazaba fortress, the Moorish fortress, which is just as impressive as the great fortress in, in, in Granada, looming over you, floodlit at night, okay? This 11th century fortress, one block away, there's a, a marina first of super, super, super yachts. Beyond that, beautiful beach for paddling in. Lovely, you know, it's a slightly artificial beach, but a really nice beach right in the heart of town. And then what's exactly beside the main square outside Picasso's museum is a first century Roman amphitheatre. Like built on top of 7th century Phoenician ruins. It's enough to just make you reeling with that sort of corrugulation of time all in one phenomenal place. And these little winding Moorish uh, sort of 18th century streets are full of little bodegas. I I, I just like, sorry, but I mean this is so exciting. Mm -hmm. I mean to be listening to this, I mean if somebody said to me now, yesterday, Mm -hmm. like we go to Malaga I would have said, found an excuse not to go because I would have said, I'm not going on one of these Spanish trips. Now, I mean, you'd almost go to Malaga and not mm-hmm. do anything else. Okay. It'd be worth going there for a weekend yeah, yeah. just to experience this extraordinary stuff you're talking yeah. about. And the, I mean, it's always been a textile and a steel mining uh, town, so a bit like Bilbao. The people, they don't get tourists there, so they're just r- rural-minded, industrial, working, hard-working Spanish people with any airs and graces. They're absolutely charming. And they're so charmed when they do see a tourist wander in. To, and so the food in the bodegas, they're not aimed at tourist food. It's just local food of Andalusia. All right. So I want you to do that. Then I take do a bus. that. So not take a bus. Yeah, take a bus and just miss out the whole stretch of the sun, the Fuengirola type areas until you get. It's basically two hours on about an hour and a half, an hour and fifteen minutes if you if you have a rental car to Tarifa. Now Tarifa is a little village, a little fishing village. It was it was ignored because it's on the far side of Gibraltar of Gibraltar, and uh, it was considered too windy. When Spanish government was thinking, let's make, let's sell all our best lands to tourists, they decided this beach was too windy, so they ignored it. So it's 10 kilometres of basically pristine... Um, windy beach. Yeah, windy beach, but like not excessively. Windy enough that it has now encouraged windsurfers and kite surfers. And, you know, there's not... I mean, it's sort of a bit boring watching windsurfers or even surfers, to be honest. Um, but kite surfers are phenomenal. These but, butterflies yeah. that skirt in the sky. But, but interestingly, mm-hmm. like... The Algarve of, of, of fame, of tourist fame. You, wind is part and parcel of, of your experience in the Algarve. Yeah. In the Algarve yeah. Because like we're talking about the Atlantic here. Mm-hmm. A lot of people you see are confused, I think, when uh-huh. they go on holiday. They're thinking about the Med. Yeah. And the Med is no tide mm-hmm. and no wind. Here you're, you're looking at the Atlantic, <laughs> which is tidal and windy. You're so right. So, and the weird thing about Tarifa is Tarifa has a, has a pier, okay, sticking out into the water. Into the, into the yeah. Water. just a granite pier on one side of it on the western side is the Atlantic on the eastern side is the Mediterranean now oh. the pier might be only you know maybe 20 metres at maximum long so okay you're sticking out into the water one side is the Atlantic one side is the Mediterranean the Atlantic feels way warmer than the Mediterranean in winter time uh, you know because I mean surely perhaps in summer the Mediterranean's warmer but I, they, they must be the same amount of water because it's only a pier sticking out 20 metres so they must be you know blending at some point okay but it's a it's a surreal experience um, so but because of this like swimming in J- December and January is perfect it's very comfortable there and and, and how do I spell this uh, so I can look it T-A-R-I-F-A. up T-A-R-I-F-A 
All right. Now, it's this spit of a rock, of, la- of a stalactite-like of land sticking down towards, um, towards Africa. So it's the point where Africa and, the Spa- and Europe are as nearest together. I think there's 11 kilometres between them. And that's where the ferry, the ferry from Tarifa to Algeciras goes from there. All right. Um, and so you can look across and you're seeing the cedar forests in the Rift Mountains in Morocco on the other side. In fact, you're smelling the scent of the cedar on a warm day coming across. And the road signs, a lot of the road signs are, and particularly the ferry signs, are both in Spanish and Arabic. And even the Medina, there's a glorious 18th century Medina, uh, you know, walled village in the heart of Tarifa. And it is a classic example of both an Andalusian sherry, forti- fortified village for sherry making that you find slightly north in Jerez, and then a Berber village that you'd find in Morocco. But, but the interesting thing, you mentioned Franco earlier on, mm-hmm. right, and, and the Civil War, and, and the Republicans were essentially that sort of eastern part, really. Barcelona was the centre of the Republicans. But Franco had been head of the Spanish army in Africa, and in fact it was the African divisions, that soldiers that came across from Africa uh, that were uh, put Franco in power and mm. won and won the civil war for the fascists, aided by Mussolini, Hitler, and all that stuff. But it indicates also the closeness to Africa, exactly. you know, which I think is is equally interesting because if you look at the 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 lines of latitude here. Mm-hmm. You're 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 right on Africa, exactly. like. You and when you think that the Costa del Sol isn't known for having any culture, either Spanish or any other, yeah. but Tarifa is replete with both Spanish and Moroccan culture. And the dishes you're getting, you'll get these Moroccan pigeon pies and 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 um, and whatever they call those those stews they have tagines, and then you'll also have like local duck and rich pork uh, casseroles. And presumably, and you're not besieged by. If fellas would kiss me quick on their hands. There's, no, no? there's, no, there's none of that. The only tourists are there. They're sort of ecological, organic surfer tourists from Germany and Belgium, kite surfing tourists. And they'll come down in their vans. They'll drive down. But they're just looking for whatever, you know, vegetarian restaurants and organic centres. It's really chilled. And because you're having all that in a beautiful, in a perfectly, you know, preserved 18th century Medina, uh, like... It is pristine. So you get in winter, in December and January, you're getting great, great warmth, great, great seas that you can swim in, wonderful culture, dirt cheap flights, depending. Like Aer Lingus and Ryanair will fly you there for 100 euros return But on you're a good day. suggesting go down there in December, January. Mm-hmm. I spent a month there. I spent two, three weeks there, yeah, about two, two Christmases ago. All right. I mm-hmm. spent three weeks, uh, I spent uh, three weeks in Greystones once, but it was a Saturday afternoon. Uh-huh. Uh, listen, quickly, we okay. have to go to the monkeys. The monkeys are only around the corner. Yeah, okay, but one final thing, Tarifa, right, not only great. that, it has wilderness on both sides, so you could walk endlessly along the western coast as far as you want, basically, but if you go north you get into these cork forests and olive groves and if you go east, you can walk, There's, it's the end of the G7 this hiking route that walks the whole way, that stretches the whole way to Greece Basically, the wilderness areas to the north and you know and to the west. Uh, the problem with going east is you first have to get through the militarized zone around Gibraltar. But the, stretching on there will bring you the whole way to uh, inland. A bit will be to Greece. Like that is that, that that's phenomenal, as you say, Gibraltar, the Rock. You know this p- bit of Britain that has been part of Britain longer than America has been owned by America. This is like, you know, this is, this is a piece of Britain. And the problem is its Britishness is so ingrained that it now looks kind of dated, you know. And Britain has moved on from constantly waving its Union jacket, thinking about uh, Nelson and, and, and Trafalgar. Whereas Gibraltar, these were like they happened yesterday. 
Because also, of course, presumably, mm-hmm. the idea of, of, of Britannia's navy ruling the world mm-hmm. is also gone, of course. So Gibraltar presumably has less of a strategic importance, no? Exactly, but it still has all these historical uh, oh, sites yeah. that were so key. You know, from the first, the tourists will see, obviously, the red pillar boxes, the fish and ship shops and, shops and those hotels that look like faulty towers. But it's beyond that. It's the fact that... That rock of Gibraltar, you know, five kilometres long, 470 or so metres tall, is like one of the great geological formations of southern Europe. And we go, you know, when we go to Arizona or Utah, we think of amazing Gibraltar uh, rock formations. This is phenomenal. This huge, you know, huge five kilometres of rock, sheer cliffs on the north and eastern side, and then its own form of wildlife, don't form of, 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 of sort of snakes, lizards, eagles, and of course, the monkey, the famous... No, but the story of the monkeys yeah. is very important. We can't leave it. No, no, the Barbary macaques, yeah. What's the story? Well, I mean, it's quite, not quite known, but they, they believe that someone would have brought them from Africa in the 18th century, uh, you know, where they were being traded. You know, one of these was found in north of Tara in Ireland in a Bronze Age, ring, or an Iron Age one ring the fort. monkeys. Yeah. So. No, but what's the significance? The story is that as long as... The, 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 the myth is that as long as those bar- Barbary monkeys are there, England will own Gibraltar. Yeah, uh, if the monkeys leave, yeah. uh, Britain will lose Gibraltar. That's it's it. not right. Yeah, and it's getting weaker. Like last year, they had to ex- evacuate a few and kill them because they started attacking humans. All right. So, but... but the, well, I, this is the monkeys, not the English. Yeah, but 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 <laughs> but Franco had his eye on it always. Is, is are, are Spain still precious about it, or do they not care anymore? Do you think? I know it's a, it's a key strategic area. But for for from our point of view, like so, even that area between Tarifa and that Spain has a has has a whole fortified area around it. You see, like this is basically the the nearest point between Africa and Europe. You know, now with 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 sort of immigration becoming an issue, it is more key than ever. Uh, so this will always be a strongly held area, oh, right, and it okay. has been. So from the you know from the seventh century to the fourth century to the fourteenth century, when the Moors arrived, it has always been a struggle between Spain and the Moors, and then of course the British came, um, and they had their massive siege there in the eighteenth century in seventeen seventeen seventy nine seventeen eighty. And a lot of when you're walking up the the, the the either you're taking the cable car or you're hiking up the rock, seeing the monkeys, a lot of it is going into the tunnels that were built as armory battlements and sort of... But uh, you wouldn't stay more than a day or so, would you? I wouldn't, no. I mean, it's sort of, you know, the food is very bad. It's sort of bad English food. It's more just to go and see some of the historical areas. Some of them are very poignant, like the Trafalgar Cemetery, where the British sailors who perished there after the 1805, after the Battle of a Trafalgar. Burger. Yeah, and, and sort of Nelson's anchorage, where Nelson was brought home, they say, in a, in a barrel, in a rum barrel, um, and where his body was brought to shore. And there's now a wonderful sort of 100-ton British Victorian super gun is battlement there, built in 1870. So there's a lot of historical moment, points there. There's also a great museum looking at the, a mummy, that, a sort of 7th century BC mummy that turned up there, the, all these old World War II tunnels. Because as you say, they planned the invasion of North Africa, the British invasion of North Africa, from the tunnels in, under the, in, built into the Rock of Gibraltar. There's, also, there's up to like 50 kilometres of tunnels and galleries winding their way through that rock, which is where all the monkeys hide out, which is, which is how you're never going to eradicate them, you know, because how would you get in? It's like getting bats all right. in the place. Okay, well, I must say, uh, you've made Malaga for me, uh, fly to Malaga, then down to Tarifa. Exactly. Uh, head over to Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And you could go in December and January. You see? I am positively salivating mm. at the prospect. Monk on McGann, Tuesday travel next week, heaven knows. But if it's as interesting as this, I'll be listening.